Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Wednesday. Hope everyone is having a wonderful day, a wonderful week so far. Today, we are talking about this abortion bill that has passed the House. It's on its way to the Senate, the so-called Women's Health Protection Act. We're going to talk to National Review journalist Alexandra DeSanctis. She is going to tell us uh, what exactly is in this bill, the likelihood of it passing the Senate. And then after that short interview, we're going to talk about this subject. We're going to talk about this bill um, and why, guys, this is so important. As much as we talk about abortion, I don't think that we can ever talk about it enough and remind ourselves what it is and why it is so important for us to push back against. Um, so without further ado, here is our friend, Alexandra DeSanctis. Alexandra, thank you so much for joining us. So right off the bat, can you just tell us what is the Women's Health Protection Act? Is it really about protecting the health of women? Believe it or not, it has nothing to do with women's health care. Of course, this has to do with abortion, as it always does when Democrats talk about women's health. Uh, What the bill does is essentially eradicate or get rid of any state law, uh, pretty much any state law that regulates abortion. And so when you hear Democrats talking about codifying Roe v. Wade, something they all talked about during the presidential uh, primary a couple years back. What they meant was the Women's Health Protection Act. And this bill, in fact, goes further than Roe. Not only does it does it codify Roe or, or turn it into a statute, uh, but it goes further than that by preventing states from passing basically any law uh, limiting abortion. This could be informed consent laws, ultrasound requirements, even uh, kind of gestational age restrictions on abortion um, after viability. So this essentially allows for abortion or stop states from prohibiting abortion through nine months. Now, is it for any reason? I I did read that um, there are some prohibitions or there are some stipulations um, that include, you know, it has to be for the uh, health, mental health or physical health of the mother. Can you break that down? Tell us why that doesn't actually that wouldn't actually prohibit any abortions from being performed in the second and third trimester. Sure. So the bill would basically make it such that states cannot uh, prohibit abortion after fetal viability unless they have what's called a maternal health uh, exception. But they define health, Democrats define health the same way that the Supreme Court did very expansively. So this can include anything such as uh, psychological health, financial health, familial health, just this whole laundry list of things. And that's from uh, that, Doe v. Bolton. That's right. That could account for kind of maternal health. It's not just these kind of healthcare emergencies that the Democrats try to pretend it is. There's all this whole host of factors uh, that are considered. Plus, the bill uh, would make it such that states would have to have to allow only one doctor to certify uh, that a woman's health required this. So you could have just the abortionist who has this immense financial motivation to perform the abortion. It could be the only one certifying that a woman's health required the procedure. Right. And the response to that is from Democrats. Well, that hardly ever happens. That's so rare. Why do we have to put restrictions on it anyway, as if that's even an argument for for something? But it's not necessarily rare, right? No, late term abortion is not rare at all. And it's very hard to get data on this sort of thing. But according to the best estimates we have, which come from the Pro-Choice Gutmacher Institute, uh, there's somewhere around 12 
thousand abortions past the point of viability. And it's, it's hard to find out what the reasons for those are. From what I've looked at, the best information we can find, uh, typically they're for the same reasons as early abortions. They're very rarely these kinds of healthcare emergencies we hear about. And in fact, are, are basically never something that would be uh, medically necessary. There's, there's more late-term abortions uh, than there are gun homicides in the United States. And yet we're told that, that these are rare and only in emergencies. Right. And we're talking about second, third trimester. Obviously, we believe that life begins at conception. That's what science tells us. But second and third trimester, we're talking about a viable baby. That means a baby who can live outside of the uh, of the womb with or without help. We're talking about a, a moving, squirming, sucking, hearing, seeing, feeling baby 12,000 times a year that baby is terminated inside the womb in very violent ways, which we'll talk about a little bit after this interview. Um, and people say, you know, as you alluded to, that, well, no one actually wants that. It's only for emergencies. But as many OBGYNs will tell you, that actually doesn't make a lot of logical sense. If the mom's health, if the mom's actual physical health is at risk and the way to help her is to get the baby out of the womb, then you deliver that baby. The baby has to come out either way. There's no reason for as the baby has to be delivered to kill that baby. It just doesn't make a whole lot of logical sense. And yet, I don't know, we're just told this propaganda over and over again that this really is about women's health care. Yeah, this is the most common argument that you hear uh, from Democrats justifying late-term abortion, that somehow these always happen in cases of medical emergency, and yet there's never any data to back this up. And in fact, when Republicans or, or pro-life lawmakers push for some kind of, at the very least, better abortion reporting mechanism, so we know why women are getting abortions at this point, you know what the circumstances are, if there are these medical emergencies— those types of policies are always opposed by the Planned Parenthoods of the world, you know, the NARAL pro-choice Americas of the world, because they don't want us to find out what's going on. And so maybe they are, they all are medical emergencies. But from the, the data we do have, that very much does not seem to be the case. And when we try to get better data, uh, Democrats oppose that. And you'd think that if they were out to protect women's health, they would want to be documenting that kind of information. Yes. And again, even if it were an emergency, you get the baby out. There's no reason to kill the baby in the meantime. That just doesn't make any logical sense. Either way, you're going to deliver the baby. It's just a dead baby versus a baby that's alive. Um, your colleague, John McCormick, National Review, um, wrote about Susan Collins, and that is the moderate Republican you know, moderate in some ways, maybe even center left in other ways. From Maine, she said this, I support codifying Roe. Unfortunately, the bill, this Women's Health Protection Act, goes way beyond that. It would severely weaken the conscience exceptions that are in the current law, Collins said, adding that she found parts of the bill's language extreme. Collins said the bill would weaken the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which protects a person's ability to exercise their religion. She cited the past support for the act by Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and President Biden when he was in the Senate. So can you break this down for us? Of course, I think we probably both disagree with Susan Collins and the desire to codify Wade. But when she says that this actually weakens conscience, conscience exceptions and the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, what does she mean by that? 
Sure. So she's talking about uh, basically the way in which Democrats now not only want abortion uh, to be legal throughout pregnancy, not only to be federally funded by the U.S. taxpayer, but also performed by any doctor whenever a woman demands it. Right. And so what this means is if you're a nurse, if you're a healthcare professional of any kind, if you're a doctor, uh, you could be conscripted into performing abortion. And the the healthcare or the uh, conscience exceptions, rather, that have always been supported on a bipartisan basis are, are suddenly now something that are becoming a partisan issue. Democrats don't want to support this anymore because the line has shifted from, you know, abortion as safe, legal and rare, this kind of necessary evil, perhaps, to abortion is a social good. And, and so the logic that follows from that is, if you're a religious person, or you have a moral objection to abortion, that's too bad, you better leave the medical profession, or this might be something you end up having to participate in. Okay, guys, first sponsor for the day, and that is a relatively new sponsor, and that is Shamonee. Uh, so a lot of you might be at the age that I am, age of 29 and you are you're maturing maybe faster than you would like and you know around your eyes with your fine lines and you're like okay you know what lord i'm really trying to accept my fine lines and wrinkles i'm trying to accept the fact that my skin cells are deteriorating and that i look older than i want to i'm trying to i'm trying to be glad that i have another year in my life but if i could just if i could maybe find a way a non-surgical way to look the best possible Please, please send that to me. And here I am. Here I am, guys, telling you about Chamonix. So if you are looking at the bags under your eyes, you're looking at the puffiness, or you're looking at, you know, some of those fine lines, and you're looking for a way to help that, uh, then you should check out the GenuCell Serum with plant stem cell technology from Chamonix. It smells really good. It's really good quality. They sent me some. Seems like a really awesome product. Plus, if you use my link that's lovegenucell.com slash al you get 50% off all genucell packages during the final days of their end of summer clear- clearance sale that is g love g-e-n-u-c-e-l.com slash ally lovegenucell.com slash ally lovegenucell.com slash ally And this seems, this particular part actually seems like something that they are, that Democrats are are very insistent upon including in their bills because there was similar language in the Equality Act, um, which also seeks to eliminate conscience rights for doctors who would be made, not all doctors, but doctors in that field could be made to perform abortions, even if they're you know, conscience bids them otherwise. And so it seems like just as much an attack on life inside the womb as it is, or just as much of an attack on religious liberty as it is life inside the womb. They don't want any exceptions, any exemptions for people who might believe differently. And yet we're hearing constantly from them that the right or the authoritarians. I mean, we were hearing constantly that the Texas law is authoritarian, that it's so bad. And yet here they are saying, look, not only do you have to do this or be okay with this, you have to do it if you're a doctor. And um, also you got to pay for it if you're a taxpayer, right? 
Yeah, and Democrats are always arguing, you know, pro-lifers are these theocrats, they're just trying to force their religion on everybody, you know, never mind that you can absolutely oppose abortion without being religious, right? This is killing an, an innocent human being, this is bad for women, you don't have to believe in God at all to think that that is wrong. Uh, but they're always arguing this is just some kind of religious imposition on the rest of the country if you want to regulate or, or make abortion illegal. Uh, but in fact, they're the ones imposing this very obviously not moral neutral, morally neutral view on others, right? The idea that it's pregnancy discrimination of some kind not to perform an abortion if you're a doctor, that's obviously not true. And they're imposing this worldview on, on everybody or attempting to make it such that you can't even operate in the medical profession at all if you have uh, some kind of conscience objection to these procedures. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, I feel like I used to say that a lot, too, that you don't have to be religious in order to be pro-life. And it's true. Like, I definitely know agnostics, atheists who are pro-life. They recognize um, what this is. Even there are people who identify as Democrats and, you know, leftists who recognize, OK, um, there's really no moral justification for it. But, you know, I was challenged on that once and it really made me think, what is the reason to protect any vulnerable life unless you believe that life has some kind of inherent worth? And where does inherent worth come from if we are not created? If we really are just all clumps of cells, just all clumps of matter, then why does abortion matter? Why does genocide matter? Why does anything matter? And so I almost appreciate the honesty and the recognition from the pro-abortion crowd that this does come down to, essentially, you can accept it even if you're an atheist, it does come down to the belief that life is valuable, that there is um, there is innate worth to human beings, vulnerable human beings, life inside the womb, because they are made in the image of God. So in one sense, it is kind of a religious argument, but all morality is, you know, all laws come from some kind of worldview. Really, the question is not whether who's neutral and who's not, but who's right and who's not. I don't know what you think about that. No, I agree. I, I think the case against abortion is obviously much stronger and easier to make if, if you believe in God and if you believe that, that all human life is created in, in his image and likeness. And that's where our, our ultimate value and our worth comes from. Uh, I think there are ways in which non-believers can participate in that argument in some yeah. way through yeah. natural law, natural rights, that sort of argument. Uh, and I, you know, I'm more than willing to accept them to the cause. Uh, but I yeah. do think you're it's a stronger argument from a religious perspective. And it really is, at the end of the day, as you say, kind of the, the culture of life versus the culture of death. Do we believe that, that all human beings are valuable for some reason and should be protected or that some can be discarded based on some rationale, you know, by, because the powerful uh, are able to do so and, and they're too weak? Right, right. That's such a good point. Um, now, is there any way that this bill passes the Senate? I don't think that it will, no, given how, how close the split is. And um, Senator Manchin has typically been uh, a pretty good vote on most pro-life issues. So I'd be surprised if he backed this. And if it did somehow, either now or in the future, is this something that could be challenged in court? Do you see it being upheld? I don't think that it, it would be upheld. I mean, I am very bad at reading the Supreme Court tea leaves. That's always a difficult thing to do. But I think what's so troubling about the law is it's not even really a federal statute legalizing this or that, right? It's a, a statute trying to make it such that states cannot legislate on this issue. It's just ripping the issue of abortion entirely, even more so than Roe v. Wade did, out of the hands of the American people. And I suppose it's, you know, you can respond to Congress as a, a voter more than you can respond to the Supreme Court. Uh, but the idea that Congress should be dictating the abortion laws in every country, I don't think is something that, that will fly. Yeah. Gosh, talk about authoritarian. Um, you wrote recently that 
Americans don't really understand Roe v. Wade. There was a poll that you referenced that said the majority of respondents said that, yes, we should uphold Roe. We don't think that it should be overturned. But then when the question was asked, well, do you think abortion should be legal? Do you think abortion should be illegal? It was split, like pretty much 50-50. So can you break that down for us? Like, where do you think this cognitive dissonance is coming from? Yeah, I always find these polls so fascinating. And this is something you hear a lot from abortion rights groups like Planned Parenthood and NARAL. They're always saying, oh, the American people love Roe v. Wade. You know, this is popular. Seven out of 10 Americans want to keep Roe. Uh, And on the one hand, you just want to say to them, "Okay, well, if that's true, then certainly you won't mind if we return Roe because the majority of Americans will ensure that that you get the abortion policy that you want. Right. Mm, Can you break break that down for us? What what do you mean by um, if we overturn Roe? What what would happen then? Because I'm not sure everyone knows. Right. Well, this is, this goes to your first question as well, right? If Roe v. Wade were overturned, the issue most likely the Supreme Court would decide the issue in a way where every state would then get to set its own abortion policy. And abortion rights groups profit from this this lie, frankly, that if Roe v. Wade were overturned, abortion would immediately become illegal everywhere, which explains right. how you could have a poll where you know 65% of people say they support Roe, but this the poll is perfectly split down the middle in terms of whether voters want abortion to be legal or illegal. They don't know that Roe v. Wade makes it impossible for abortion to be illegal anywhere, even at the state level. And they don't know that overturning Roe uh, would make it such that states could set their own abortion policy and people could vote, which is why it's ironic when Planned Parenthood says, well, most people support Roe, but don't overturn it because then the American people won't get what they want. Yeah. Wow. It really is so much misinformation. I saw a tweet by NARAL the other day saying, you know, why do anti-choice extremists, which whatever, that's fine. You're right. I am against the choice of killing a child. But why do they rely on misinformation? Why do they lie on misleading language? And of course, the exact opposite is true. All pro-lifers have to do is tell the truth. Tell the truth about what abortion is. Um, Tell the truth about what Roe v. Wade does. It's not an easy position always to defend because of the onslaught of misinformation that we're fighting against, but it is a very simple truth to to defend, right? No, it absolutely is. And I think the hard part, you know, the reason why we get a poll like that is that so much of the media is complicit in lying to Americans about what Roe v. Wade is. Where is the piece explaining what Roe v. Wade did to abortion policy in, in our country? You know, where is the piece explaining in a, a mainstream from a mainstream outlet explaining to people what would ha- actually happen if Roe's overturned? It's all this kind of fear mongering and propaganda, repeating Planned Parenthood talking points. And you kind of can't blame people for not knowing all the information that that is uh, kind of true. They don't know what reality is. Right. And even, you know, it's filled with euphemisms, even supposedly non-biased outlets and, uh, you know, uh, sources on social media who say that they're just kind of telling the fact about, for example, Texas's abortion law. You can see where they stand, not just but what by what they say, but also by what they don't say when they say terminating a pregnancy, when they refuse to say baby, when they refuse to say human being, when they refuse to say what happens in an abortion. Anytime that you are on the side um, that has to choose euphemisms in order to make your argument palatable, I think that's typically a good reason to double check if you are on the right side. Um, Well, thank you. Thank you for being so clear and for always reporting on this um, with so much courage and so much consistency. Where can people follow you and support you? 
So my work can be found at National Review Online. And you can also find me on Twitter at Zan underscore DeSanctis. Awesome. Thank you so much, Alexandra. Thank you. Okay, before we get into the rest of the episode, let me tell you guys about Good Ranchers. Last night with our ground beef from Good Ranchers, I made some tacos and it was really good. Had some, you know, fajita peppers, had some guacamole that I make and some other stuff. I don't remember what we had, but it was really good. It's such an easy meal. And I just love that around 4.30, all I have to do is go into our freezer with all of our Good Ranchers meat. And I pull out a couple things of meat of whatever I want that night. And I thaw it out. And then, you know, it's good to go, ready to cook by the time we get the kids down. It just makes our life so much easier. I love Good Ranchers, 100% of their grass-fed uh, grass beef. And they're better than organic chicken is from American farms. And so you're supporting American farmers. Unlike when you buy a lot of your meat from the grocery store, it's actually being imported from overseas. And so if you're interested in supporting American farmers, which I think we all should be, then get your meat from Good Ranchers. It just makes your life so much better. All you have to do is go to goodranchers.com slash alley. You pick out the cuts of meat that you want, the chicken and the beef. They send it to your front door, vacuum sealed, on dry ice. You put it in your freezer and it's good to go. If you subscribe, you get that box of meat every month. You save 20% on each box, brings it down to like $5 a meal. So not only super convenient, not only supporting American farms, but it's also very affordable. Plus, if you use my link, goodranchers.com slash Allie or promo code Allie, you get $20 off at checkout and free express shipping. So goodranchers.com slash Allie for that discount and free express shipping. That is goodranchers.com slash Allie. Okay, let's talk a little bit more uh, about this bill. Some of just the absolute radicalism and craziness that's in this bill. And then just a reminder of the subject that we're talking about, the grotesqueness of the subject that we're talking about. I think it's so important for us to remember that we're not just talking about this kind of nebulous policy issue that doesn't affect anyone. We are talking about life and death. We are talking about the killing of babies. Literally, sometimes the reality of what we are talking about when we're talking about the subject of abortion keeps me awake at night. Or I literally, I wake up in the middle of the night and I think, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're actually having a debate about this. And I especially cannot believe that people who profess the name of Christ can't get on board with trying to make this illegal. We'll talk more about that in a second. But I want to talk about this this bill because progressivism is constantly tripping over itself to try to keep up with where this moral and sexual and gender revolution is going. They are constantly trying to uh, keep up with just how radical progressivism has become. And of course, that's the nature of progressivism. There's never like an end goal of progressivism. Of course, I believe it's very morally regressive, but it is constantly moving in a direction without any kind of understanding of what goal it's trying to reach or what it's trying to build. Its means is always destruction and its end 
end is some kind of mysterious utopia that never actually works out. Like throughout the history of the world, these kinds of revolutions, this breakdown of the family, this breakdown of morality and the understanding of of right and wrong and human dignity and all of these things, it never actually ends up in the utopia that progressive uh, progressives think that it's going to, where people are just um, all happy and they're not owning any property. There's no hierarchies. There's no family unit. There's no religion. They just think John Lennon's imagine is going to manifest itself. It never actually happens. Like history shows us this, especially the 20th century. And this bill, this so-called Women's Health Protection Act, is a really good example of all of that. Um, Now, I was surprised by this title, Women's Health Protection Act, because Democrats have been pushing, especially over the past year, to remove gendered language from policy. Uh, So I would assume that they would use the word pregnant person instead of women. And just a note on that, like to deny the biological dichotomy of male and female, the reality of male and female is to deny what it means to be human. From a Christian perspective, it's to deny what it means to be made in God's image. There is no biblical category for gender identity that is separate and opposed to sex. Um, And so this idea that we are going to do away with those categories and somehow we're going to be able to effectively obscure reality, it's not going to happen. It can't happen. Human nature is I like to say on this podcast is like a beach ball. You can try to push it underwater as much as you want to with all of your might. You can get the whole world to, you know, try to push that beach ball down. It's going to keep popping back up. That's what it does. And so we can try through policy, through legislation, through um, manipulation of language, through bullying, through censorship to try to deny the reality of male and female We will never be able to do it. And I do think the attempt at doing that through legislation is extremely harmful. It always leads to the erasure, never of men, but of women, um, which isn't which isn't a coincidence. Of course, I believe that um, Satan has a, a special hatred for women that we have seen from the Garden of Eden and continues to manifest itself now. Um, and in this bill that even though it's titled Women's Health Protection Act, um, they make clear that, hey, we're not trying to be bigoted by using this antiquated term, women. The bill says this. I'm going to include, of course, a link to the whole text of the bill in the description to this episode because I want you to be able to read it for yourself. I never want you to just take my word for it. But here's one paragraph from the bill. The terms woman and women are used in this bill to reflect the identity of the majority of people targeted and affected by restrictions on abortion services and to address squarely the targeted restrictions on abortion which are rooted in misogyny. However, access to abortion services is critical to the health of every person capable of becoming pregnant. Did you know that there are people that are not women who are capable of becoming pregnant? Isn't that amazing? Cisgender women, transgender men, non-binary individuals, those who identify with a different gender and others who are unjustly harmed by restrictions on abortion. So these people have the audacity to say that restrictions on abortion, which save the lives of unborn girls, by the way, um, is rooted in misogyny. And then they go on to say, well, it's not actually just a women's issue. This is uh, this is affecting uh, men, transgender men, which is a woman who identifies as a man. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. Like 
Remember, God is not a God of confusion. Like he did not mean for us to be burdened with this kind of chaos in his grace, in his uh, creativity. He made us male and female. It's very simple. That doesn't mean that there are not um, genetic anomalies. That doesn't mean that intersex people don't exist. But those uh, that's a disorder. That's an exception that does not rewrite the rule in the same way that we call human beings bipeds, uh, even though there are some people that are born with one leg. The exception, the exemption, or not really the exemption, but the exception does not change the rule. And yet, um, people have given in to this kind of confusion, thinking erroneously that this creates order. It doesn't. It creates destruction. It creates confusion. Um, The bill goes on to say, reproductive justice seeks to address restrictions on reproductive health, including abortion. Again, abortion isn't reproductive health because reproduction has already happened when there is a baby inside the womb. So it really doesn't have anything to do with reproduction except for the products of reproduction, which is a human being. So restrictions on reproductive health, including abortion, the bill says, that perpetuate systems of oppression. Like they just can't even get over themselves enough to be able to say what the bill is actually about. Lack of bodily autonomy. Again, abortion has nothing to do with bodily autonomy. I mean, the human being is a human being that has DNA that is independent of the mother. White supremacy and anti-black racism. This violent legacy has manifested in policies including enslavement, rape. Okay, so anti-abortion policies, they're, it's on par with enslavement. Now, let's think about that for a second. Slavery. Black people were dehumanized. They were made uh, to feel and they were subjected as less than human, as subhuman, as property. Babies inside the womb uh, are called clumps of cells by the anti-abortion crowd. We're told that they don't have rights, that they don't have innate dignity, that they don't have innate worth. And they are also objectified, abused, uh, and, and demonized in the same way that slaves were. And so they're saying the opposite, though, that anti-abortion restrictions are on par with slavery when really it's abortion that's on par with slavery. And for some reason, that's controversial to say. But the reality is, is that we have all kinds of instances throughout human history of people being dehumanized and the dehumanization uh, leads to their marginalization. It leads to their victimization. It leads to their death. That's just true. And yet all this kind of doublespeak, all this kind of doublethink, all this kind of newspeak, this Orwellian nonsense um, is trying to flip everything that is true on its head. That's, of course, what Satan does. Um, these people who write this legislation, they can't help but breathe out lies because they serve the father of lies. That's who, that's, that's their nature. That's what they do. And so they go on to say in this bill, experimentation on black women, forced sterilizations. Of course, I'm against that. Um, Medical experimentation on low-income women's reproductive systems, the forcible removal of indigenous children. Of course, I'm against all of those terrible things, but they are saying that that's the same thing somehow as anti-abortion legislation. Access to equitable reproductive health care, including abortion services, has always been deficient in the United States for black, indigenous, and other people of color and their families. Hang on. Hang on. The violent legacy of white supremacy is ending abortion. 
let's look at some numbers. According to the CDC, the abortion rate among black Americans is wildly disproportionate to their population size. Uh, In several years, including in 2017, according to the CDC, there were more abortions uh, among black women than among white women, despite black women only making up about 8% of the American population. Since 1965, 18.7 million abortions of black babies have been performed. That's an estimated 42% of the current population of black Americans. Compared with only 14% of the white population that's been aborted in that time frame, 15% of the current uh, Hispanic population that's been aborted since 1965, and 15% of non-Hispanic other as described in this report. So it seems to me that Planned Parenthood and other abortion providers are actually carrying out the eugenicist legacy of the Planned Parenthood founder, Margaret Singer, who said in a letter that she did not want the word to get out, that they wanted to do away with the black population. It seems like these abortion providers are succeeding in carrying out that mission still today. And the authors of this legislation have the audacity to say that the people who are standing uh, against that uh, against that killing, uh, against that mass murder, that they're the white supremacists, it's projection. It's evil. It is the darkest, most wicked thing that you can think of. Um, late term abortion, we hear, is rare. We alluded to that with Alexandra. It's rare. It's rare. So it's fine that this bill wants to do away with any restrictions on abortion um, in the last trimester. It's rare. First of all, that's a bad argument. Just because something is rare, it means that there shouldn't be any restrictions on it. Um, According to the Guttmacher Institute, which is the research arm of Planned Parenthood, rare is more than 10,000 times a year. More than 10,000 times a year, babies who are developed enough to be able to live outside of the womb, and again, that doesn't mean that babies who aren't able to live outside of the womb independently are less valuable, but just to speak to this talking point that late, late-term abortion is rare, more than 10,000 times a year, that would be the leading cause of death for children in the United States 10,000 times a year. Uh, babies in the second and third trimester after 25 weeks, so that's after viability, are aborted. Now let's talk about, and this is explicit, we know this, but let's talk about uh, how that happens. What, what, what goes on um, in those kinds of abortions that are happening thousands of times a year in the United States that Democrats refuse to prohibit, and not only refuse to prohibit, but they refuse to allow states to prohibit Um, that is actually being celebrated by a number of organizations. That's another false talking point that no one is pro-abortion. That's not true. That is not true. It is something that is celebrated now among mainstream Democrats. You can be in denial all you want to. That's reality. That's reality. Go check out Shout Your Abortion. Go check out a dozen other organizations on Instagram that talk about how abortion is great. Read the New York Magazine article from a couple years ago that says abortion is actually a moral good. Why don't you ask someone that works at Planned Parenthood or NARAL? Why don't you ask uh, Why don't you ask Nancy Pelosi, the devout Catholic, or even Joe Biden, the devout Catholic, whether or not abortion is morally good? They probably would have a hard time actually saying it's bad, even though they say they're personally pro-life, as if that's possible to be personally pro-life and yet still against the legal right of babies to live. Um, okay, I'm going to talk about 
what a, a late-term abortion is from the words of an abortionist, it's going to be graphic. Um, but I think it's really important. It's so important. Pro-life or whether you're still trying to decide, it's really important for us to know exactly what we're talking about. Now, before I get into that, I do want to tell you guys about my second sponsor for today, and that is Dwell. So Dwell is a Bible app. It's inspired by the psalmist's command that we must hide the Word of God in our hearts. Dwell has built a beautiful listening and reading experience for the scriptures. With over a dozen new recordings of the Bible, they have hand-picked voices that will engage and inspire you. There are multiple versions that you can choose from. I like ESV. That's always my version of choice. There is, uh, you know, King James Version. There's NIV. There is NASB and many others. They also feature a new read-along experience, which lets you read big, bold text accompanied by beautiful background art while you're listening. And so you can really make sure that you are absorbing scripture in every way possible, or if you're unable to actually sit down and read while you are listening, maybe you're on the go, maybe you're in the car, maybe you're cooking dinner, you're cleaning, doing all of the responsibilities that you have. You can listen to scripture at the same time. There's never a bad time to listen to scripture. Um, So maybe, maybe for like 30 minutes or an hour a day, or maybe 20 minutes, whatever it is, you can replace, uh, you know, listening to true crime podcasts with listening to scripture and renew your mind and making sure that you're dwelling on things that are good and right and true. If you go to dwellapp.io slash relatable, you'll get 10% off a yearly subscription or 33% off Dwell for Life. That means 33, uh, 33% off means you save $50. So go to dwellapp.io slash relatable for those discounts. Commit to scripture for the rest of this year or better yet, your whole life. Okay, so I'm going to read you some of um, a testimony from... Leroy Carhart, and he is an abortionist. He is still performing late-term abortions uh, to this day, and he um, had to give, he had to testify in court in 1997, and he was asked um, a series of questions about what he does for a living. Um, So the questioner said, are there times when you don't remove the fetus intact? Carhartt says, yes, sir. Can you tell me about that when that occurs? So again, we're talking about second and third trimesters. Leroy Carhartt says that occurs when the tissue fragments or frequently when you rupture the membranes, an arm will spontaneously prolapse through the cervix. And of course, if you are not entirely sure about what happens in a birth, the baby has to come through the birth canal, the cervix. And so that's what he is talking about. Rupturing the membranes means like breaking the water. And so he is having to deliver this baby that he is supposed to have already killed um, through abortion. And he's talking about an arm uh, popping out. So the questioner says, what do you mean? Carhartt says, my normal course would be to dismember that extremity. And then go back and try to make the fetus out. I might start crying. Uh, Take the fetus out, either foot or skull first, whatever end I can get to first. Questioner, how do you go about dismembering that extremity? We're talking about a baby here. Carhartt, just traction and rotation. 
This is really hard to listen to, but I think it's I think it's necessary. Just traction and rotation, grasping the portion that you can get a hold of, which would usually be somewhere up the shaft of the exposed portion of the fetus, pulling down on it. Um, and then you use counter traction and rotating to dismember the shoulder or the hip or whatever it would be. Sometimes you will get one leg and you can't get the other out. Questioner, in that situation, are you, when you pull on the arm and remove it, is the fetus still alive? Carhartt, yes. Questioner, do you consider an arm, for example, to be a substantial portion of the fetus? Carhartt says, yes. Questioner, and then what happens if you remove the arm? Then you try to remove the rest of the fetus. Carhartt, then I would go back and attempt to either bring the feet down or bring the skull down. and some, Or even sometimes you bring the other arm down and remove that also and get the feet down. Questioner, at what point is the fetus, uh, does the fetus die during that process? Carhartt, I don't really know. I know that the fetus is alive during the process most of the time because I can see the fetal heartbeat on the ultrasound. The court, counsel for what it's worth, it is unclear to me with regards to the intact DNA when fetal demise occurs. Questioner, okay, I will clarify that. Um, this is dilation and extraction. And the procedure of an intact DNA where you would start foot first with the situation where the fetus is presented feet first. Tell me how you're able to get the feet out first. Carhartt, under ultrasound, you can see the extremities. <sighs> Sorry, this is so hard to read. <sighs> so Carhartt says, you know what is what? <sighs> you know what the foot is, you know what the arm is, you know what the skull is by grabbing the feet and pulling down on it or by grabbing a knee and pulling down on it. Usually you can get one leg out, get the other leg out, and bring the fetus out. I don't know all, all the controversy about rotating the fetus comes from. I don't attempt to do that, just attempting to bring out whatever is the proximal portion of the fetus. At the time you bring out the feet, in this example, is the fetus alive? Carhartt says yes. And then he goes on to explain what happens. Um, he says that he has to try to cut the cord. And then the questioner says, let's take the situation where you haven't divided the cord because you couldn't and you have begun to remove a living fetus feet first. What happens next after you've gotten the feet removed? Um, he says you have to bring the shoulders down, but you can get enough of them outside. You can do this with your finger inside the uterus. And then at that point, the fetal, the base of the fetal skull is usually in the cervical canal. What do you do next? Carhartt. And you can reach that. And that's where you would rupture the fetal skull to some extent and aspirate the contents out. We're talking about a brain of a baby, living baby. Okay. At what point in that process does fetal demise occur between, an, uh, between initial removal of the feet or legs and the crushing of the skull, or I'm sorry, the decompressing of the skull? Um, Carhartt says, this is 1997, so this has been going on a long time. This is where I'm not sure what fetal demise is, Carhartt says. I mean, I honestly have to share your concern. You can remove the cranial contents and the fetus will still have a heartbeat for several seconds or several minutes. So is the fetus alive? I would have to say probably, although I don't think it has any brain function. So it's brain dead at that point. So the brain death might occur when you begin suctioning out of the cranium. And then Carhartt says, you know, that he believes so. That's what happens um, in some DNA abortions. Now, 
there are abortions that are supposed to um, occur in the way that you ensure fetal demise is what it's called before uh, the the baby is extracted. Um, and live action went undercover in 2013 to talk to Leroy Carhart and to see what that entails. Um, again, second and third trimester abortion. So I'm going to play you a little clip of that. So you don't see a lot of women like me? Well, I saw four this week. Okay. So. At 26 weeks? Yeah. Wow. All right. So I'm not unusual. No, not at okay. all. And the baby... Will come through. It'll compress down and come through that because it's not alive. And it can, so when you say compress down, it just it gets soft, like mushy. Oh. So you put you push it through. So what makes the baby mushy? The fact, the fact that it's not alive for two or three oh. days. So I'll have a dead baby in me. For three days, yeah. Will it start to decay or something? No. Oh. Okay. I, I, <laughs> oh, it's like putting meat in a crock pot. Okay, it doesn't get it doesn't get broke, but it gets gets softer. It doesn't get infected or... Okay, you know. so the dead baby in me is like it's, meat it's in a crock pot. Pretty much, yeah, kind of much. All right, all right. And, and what was it that killed it? The, I, the injection that the, we do The first it. one? The second one. Oh, the second one. No, I mean, I've done some when the women can't have that shot if they're alive. I mean, it just, you know, I'm sure the baby feels a needle stick if the baby feels anything, oh. and I truly don't believe that it does at 26 oh. weeks. For some I've reason, never had I'm not able to deliver. Well, you'll be able to get it out, and take it out in, in pieces. pieces. But, that, but that at 26 weeks is very, very rare. All right. So now we know what happens in a second and third trimester abortion uh, over 10,000 times a year. Now, of course, you'll hear from pro-abortioners as if this makes this better, that they are supposed to ensure fetal demise before they extract the baby. But as we heard in that 1997 testimony, that is not that's not always that's not always the case. And just a reminder, that combination of chemicals that's used in the needle that goes through a woman's abdomen into the heart of the baby in her womb is the same chemical combination that's used in lethal injections for convicted murderers on death row. And so I, I never understood the people who are against the death penalty for convicted murderers, but for the death penalty for babies inside the womb. I'm sorry, you're not going to tell me that you've got a monopoly on empathy and compassion if you're on that team. According to the Center for Medical Progress, publicly available information demonstrates that the University of Pittsburgh hosts some of the most barbaric experiments carried out on aborted human infants, including scalping five-month-old aborted fetuses to stitch onto lab rats, exporting fetal kidneys across the country and killing infants delivered alive for liver harvesting funded by U.S. taxpayers via the National Institutes of Health and in particular Dr. Anthony Fauci's NIAID office. Local Planned Parenthood of Western Pennsylvania abortion providers supply the aborted fetuses while Pitt sponsors the local Planned Parenthood's operations and what looks like an illegal quid pro quo for fetal body parts forbidden by 42 U.S. Code 289 G2 and 18 Pennsylvania Statutes 3216. Pennsylvania law also makes it a felony to experiment on a living fetus or to fail to provide immediate medical care, medical care to an infant born alive. Now, we already know that Planned Parenthood has been trafficking the parts of unborn babies. David Delighton uncovered that and was punished for it by Kamala Harris when she was attorney general of California. Now, this is the same woman who a senator refused to vote yes on a bill that would simply provide um, 
provide doctors uh, or it would make doctors provide care to infants outside of the womb who survived abortion. And you actually it's just amazing. Like you actually had Christian celebrate when she became vice president. Oh, because she's a woman of color. Like that is going to save her when she stands before the judgment throne of God. I mean, what a horrifying, depraved, corrupt wench. I mean, same goes for every single person who supports the legal killing of children. You heard what I just described to you. There is no nuance here. Like, yes, of course, Yes and amen, there is grace for everyone who has had an abortion. I have talked to so many of you who are pro-life and you are some of the most passionate pro-life advocates out there. Nothing makes anyone too far off for God's rescuing power and love and grace. But once we know better, once we know what abortion is, we cannot pretend that it's possible to call yourself pro-all-life or holistically pro-life and vote for the party that exclusively advocates for the legalized killing of babies through nine months. Yes, we can talk about different policies and practices uh, that we can do to help moms. I uh, you know, posted a link the other day. There are several, um, there are, are several pregnancy centers, pro-life pregnancy centers throughout the country, but especially in the state of Texas that are overwhelmed right now since Texas's law was enforced, praise God, who are now choosing life. Um, and I posted a link for a few minutes of a pregnancy center that said, hey, we're desperate and we're desperate need of baby supplies and help for moms. Can you pro- post our Amazon link? Posted it on Twitter, posted it on um, Instagram. Tens of thousands of items were sent to the center. I mean, that's going to clothe babies. That's going to help moms who chose life. Praise God. This idea that pro-lifers aren't for uh, ways to help moms and babies, babies after they're born is a lie. It is a lie. Uh, and we do not have to talk about policies or talk about strategies to support families in crisis instead of making abortion illegal. Like there's only one side, only one party that is talking about picking one or the other. Uh, the right doesn't talk about that. We say yes and amen. Let's talk about how we can create an entire culture of life. But yes and amen. Let's, let's make this atrocity illegal. If you believe that that babies in the womb are human beings, which is not a belief, it's fact. So if you accept that fact, then there is no logical reason why that human being shouldn't have legal human rights, the most basic of which is the right to life. So if you're someone who says, you know, I'm against abortion, but let's keep it legal. You are saying that you don't believe that baby has the same right to life as people outside of the womb. And you need to be able to answer why. You're drawing the same illogical distinctions that the pro-abortion side does. If babies in the womb are human, they're made in God's image, and therefore they have dignity, they have a worth. And beautifully in the West, we are supposed to believe that that worth means your physical life is worthy of protection. That's the very least that a government can do. And honestly, like that's why I have a hard time with some organizations like, like the AND campaign, because even though, you know, I think that their their mission is sincere and their faith is sincere. I've talked to Justin Gibney on this podcast, so I feel like I can talk about this without it just seeming like I'm not allowing them to defend themselves. At the end of the day, they vote Democrat. Like at the end of the day, they are voting for the representatives, for the, for the legislators that's crafting the kind of policy that is enabling the kind of grotesque procedures that we just described. And I have a really hard time understanding how you can call yourself holistically pro-life and still consistently be voting for the party that not just enables it, but celebrates it.
I'm sorry. I, I just I don't see it like making abortion illegal legally protecting the fundamental right of babies to not be murdered is the baseline for being able to call yourself pro-life. Again, we can talk about all the things that we can do to create an entire holistic culture of life, but let's start with just the basic legal uh, rights to live, to not be murdered in the womb. You know, how we used to talk about abortion Uh it was, it was different. Like, I don't know what made me think of this the other day. Um, but I thought of, you know, the Tim McGraw song, Red Ragtop, a red, red ragtop. I think, yeah, I think that's what it's called. I used to listen to that, probably not even knowing what it was talking about. Like when I was in high school, because there was a day when, when kids were in high school, they really weren't thinking about politics and a bunch of different issues. But, um, I listened to it the other day and I was like, wow, this makes me sad. It's a super sad song. And he talks about, you know, committing a sin. He talks about, um, how it kind of ruined their life and ruined their relationship or hurt their life at least. And that there was regret. And that was obviously a mainstream song sung by a mainstream singer. And then I remembered another song that was about abortion, Ben Folds. Um, I used to be a huge Ben Folds fan, went to his concert and all of that, even though, you know, he definitely is not uh, producing content that is God glorifying. But this song, Brick, I've heard it described as like the the um, happiest sounding song with the saddest lyrics. Like it's got a very happy melody, but it's a very sad and heavy song. And it talks about him and his girlfriend going to get an abortion and how she ended up, you know, they said that they were going to be fine, but she ended up not being okay. She ended up, um, we don't know the details, but she wasn't all right. And they had to confess the fact that they had lied and that they had covered this up. And, you know, this was, in the 90s when these songs were coming out and I can just see how culture has shifted so much to saying, okay, you know, abortion should be safe, legal and rare, which I'm not saying I agree with that, but it was understood that this was a moral travesty that, okay, no one, no one wants this to now where we are, it being so celebrated, at least by um, the, the radicals in the Democratic Party. I don't think that that callousness describes the majority of people who identify as Democrats. I really don't. I don't think that that callousness and that celebration um, characterizes most of the country. I think it's probably a very small percentage. And yet there is an entire political party that supports it. I mean, when anti-shame is like our first priority, when we are so afraid of um, people feeling bad for their choices when we're so afraid of stigma and we say that, oh, nothing should be shameful, nothing should be stigmatized. Every choice, every immoral choice has to be celebrated. Um, then we create this very morally confusing and honestly devastating and lost society. I'm not saying that we should drown people in shame who have had abortions. No, far from that. But we should be very clear in what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is evil. Abortion is evil. The abortion industry is evil. We should be doing whatever we can to make sure that it is as illegal as possible. We want better for babies. We want better for women. We want better for society. And yes, we come alongside these vulnerable people and we help them absolutely however we can. But let's start in the womb. Let's start with that basic right to life. I I can't even... I can't even imagine that we're living in a country where someone like Leroy Carhartt is not only um, allowed to 
be a free person and not go to jail, um, but is actually celebrated, unfortunately, in his industry. I want to change that. I want to do whatever we can to fight for those babies, to fight for those potential victims, and to fight for moms who, like I said, they deserve so much better. All right. um, Tomorrow, we are finally going to talk about this subject that you guys have been asking me to talk about for a long time. We're going to talk with the head of an organization, Exodus Cry, who is doing so much good work. Um, They are helping victims of sex trafficking. They are raising awareness about exploitation. So we're going to talk about the problem of porn and the access that unfortunately kids have to that. It's going to be a really good conversation. And I think you're going to feel inspired to not just know about that subject, but also to do something about it. So I'm excited about that. Remember, Tuesday, next Tuesday, is going to be a really awesome, fun episode. It is going to be our 500th episode. We're going to be doing a lot of different things. One thing that we're going to be doing, though, is taking voicemails from you guys. And you're going to, um, if you want to, leave a voicemail saying what Relatable has meant to you. If there have been, um, if your mind has changed at all on anything, I definitely want to hear about that. And the voicemail number, the Skype number for you guys to call to leave a voicemail is 682-503-1369. So call us. Tell us why Relatable has meant something to you. Tell us if anything has changed your mind. And we will be excited to um, hear about that and play some of those on Tuesday. I'm super excited. All right. I'll see you guys back here tomorrow.